Yeah, welcome to the show. This is Richie, your host. I hope you're all staying safe and well. We are nearly through June already and not a gig in sight. Thanks everybody for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that. That was the brilliant Element X with their new single called Crossbones. And that was produced by Gavin Doyle. No stranger to the show there in relation to bands that have featured on the show that have benefited from Gavin's magic touch at Symmetry Industry Studios. Big shout out then to the band members, Dave on vocals, Ian on rhythm guitar, Franco on lead guitar, Hugo on bass and Rodrigo on drums. We are so lucky to have so many talented musicians out there and lads, you certainly have raised the bar with that great song. If you don't know too much about Element X, they're five piece from Dublin and they've been going since 2014. They have two EPs, one called The Prologue, which was released in 2015. And the second one was called All or Nothing, which was only released last year. So check out Element X on all their social media. They're very active, to be fair. They have their own website, Instagram, Facebook, and all their material is on all the music platforms and also on Bandcamp as well. Best of luck, lads, with that. Great, great song. Okay, moving on to the main part of the podcast itself. And it's my interview with Bailey Jr. So I came across Bailey Jr. while researching Razor Sharp Death Blizzard. And I found out that Jamie, the singer of Razor Sharp Death Blizzard, contributed to this short movie on mental health, directed by Bailey Jr. called Suffer. It was certainly great to see the contributions of so many metalheads involved in Bailey's metal community. So it got me thinking and I felt that the subject matter being mental health and suicide, if I could illuminate it on my show, um, it would be another positive. And thanks to all the lads again for um, contributing their views and, and talking about their experiences of mental health as well. It mustn't have been easy. Enjoy the interview. Hello, this is Richie from the Metal Cell Podcast. I am delighted to welcome Bailey. All right. Tom from Zahora. What's the buzz? Evan from Worn Out and collaborator of Metal Forums. Yeah. Secret agent. <laughs> and Shane Horn, photographer and practicing psychotherapist now. Congratulations, man. Thank you very much. How's Still everyone going? doing? <laughs> what about you, Bailey? What's the story up in Scotland? Are you, is there any restrictions anymore up there or what? Um... There have been, like, for a while, but to be perfectly honest, the idiots are just flocking about anyway, so it hasn't really been much change. Okay. Well, with a bit of sunshine, the brain falls out the back of the majority of people's <laughs> heads, so... Yeah. Seeing how we go, like... I would say I've been fair enough just locked away doing, like, video editing and stuff, so it's been pretty much no change for me. Ah, oh, cool. Okay. I'll just give you the backstory in relation to those that don't know. So... Um, I came across Bailey uh, researching for Razor Sharp Death Blizzard. And I came across the post by Jamie, who was a singer of Razor Sharp Death Blizzard, saying that um, he was involved in a project uh, to sing in uh, Bailey's short, short movie called Suffer. So that got my interest. And um, of course, I watched it and I was really impressed by it, to put it mildly. And then it led me on to Scapegoat TV, which is... Uh, 
basically you run that on your own, Bailey, yeah? Yeah, that's literally my little baby that okay. I've been working on for like years. Okay, so um, you might just tell us what Scapegoat TV is and then your just background in general, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, literally my background is just being a metal scene bum. Um, for like the last 20 years either if i've not just been going to shows i go like the club nights and just circulating in the community that's up here in scotland which is outstanding to say the least um about three years ago three and a half years ago i started like socializing more with different studios and bigger bands and things like that and out of several conversations a friend of mine said it might not be a bad idea to pick up a decent camera or just put a few quid into it and see what I can do because there was a lot of them green room photographs with me in a band and me and this and me and that. And then folk were just saying, well, you've got this in, why don't you actually interview somebody, take a photo, maybe do a video, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I reached out to one of my good friends, which is over in America. He plays in a band called wind hands and cough. He's a guy called Parker Chandler. He plays the bass. Um, and I just asked him when he was touring, would you be up for me interviewing you? Just like two mates in a green room, drinking a beer, nothing too rigid or um, formulated, if you want to even call it. And yeah, that pretty much started the ball rolling. Um, we did about 30 interviews from that point onwards, big, small bands and everything in between. And then I met up with a guy called Stu Gordon. Like He's also like a longtime friend and sound engineer. Uh, he runs a studio not too far away from me, about a couple of miles away. And that's pretty much, not to blow the horn of that studio, but pretty much that's where everybody goes. They either practice there or record their demos, then to go elsewhere to then refine it and do it properly. So it's this little hub and community that people are in all the time. We did these wall of sound sessions, which are straight to tape, no overdubs, no refinements in post trying to showcase these bands as well as we can. And we knocked out 10 of them and then it just grew and grew and grew from there, just like filming, taking stills, all that sort of lot. So that's kind of scapegoat in a bit of a nutshell. Um, and then with, sorry, carry on. Um, is that just based roughly in the Edinburgh area or is it Glasgow or whereabouts are you, Bailey? I'll, I'll go where anybody lets me go is pretty much it. I'm just happy to be there, you know? Hmm. Um, I've done, it's predominantly where I'm based here in Edinburgh, but I do go to Glasgow. I do go further afield. I've been down to like Northern England into like Leeds, and Manchester and places like that. I've gone down to the Skyhammer studio at Liverpool with the Conan guys and things like that. So I've done little projects, but slowly but surely like widening the field, if you get what I'm saying. Yes. Because again, I'm still learning, so I don't want to bite off more than I can chew, if you get what I'm saying. I do, yeah. So what was the seed that put it put it into your mind about uh, doing a film, a short movie even, about um, suicide, mental health? Well, it started off just as like a bit of fun. Um, there's a documentary out there that goes a, a little bit deeper into the ethos, but like the, the initial just filming for a movie with a narrative was just a bit of a laugh. And then after a while, if I was thinking about doing a proper narrative, I didn't want to con anybody re really like i like solid well-made movies from a decent point of view and 
shot well and the story has to stand up. So I didn't want to fake it. So I had to do something which was personal to myself. So not going to beat around the bush. The mental health in metal is very apparent. It's in all of our artwork, our lyrics, even the tonality of like the music, what we look like, what we aspire to be, how heavily tattooed we are. Like literally everything that's under this is kind of on the darker side, if you want to call it. And um, so it just seemed very natural to me to speak about something like that, which I personally have lived through and had these thoughts and as well as have multiple different friends, some with us, some without that have gone through this process to varying degrees. And it's something that I think we should all be talking about more openly. It shouldn't just be, yeah, you're all right. That's it. It's like, if you are feeling shit, you should have these people to go and talk these things out with. So that's kind of why I went down that path because in the recent past, I had a lot of health problems. So I was pretty much isolated all the time, even before this COVID had kicked off. So living on my own, like barely eating, like, cause it was uh, problems with my stomach. So it was just literally decaying it was pretty much it for best part of a year. Um, and kind of the film is a part, like, to be honest, a confessional, if you want to call it, um, because it could have gone one of two ways. I chose to do the arty thing about it and talk about it and air it in this pretty stark manner instead of taking that choice and taking my life and doing something reckless and stupid. So again, this has started the ball moving here in Edinburgh and a lot of folk that I know are starting to open up and be more transparent with their mental health. So again, this was me just doing my own little project that then folk wanted to get involved in and now it's just like, it's, it's just exploded, which is amazing. But I just thought it's just going to be a little project just for me. And that was about it. And open it there to you, lads. Um, I suppose, what about you, Tom? First of all, did you check it out yeah yeah i just watched it um today just before we went on um i'd agree with what you said like it's pretty stark portrayal of you know how things can get and i like the the opening scene of um of, i was going to say the character but i suppose you lying on the floor and oh, don't worry i refer to myself as third person in this as well so yeah. it's him or it's or that sort of thing so fire on um it's a stark shot you know it's but it in the simplicity of it, it paints a pretty, pretty good picture of like how things can get. You know, I think we've all had our own issues with drinking, whatever else goes on, in any sort of social situation. And the tendency to self-destruct is obviously a very um, attractive one, especially if you're having some sort of mental problems. It's definitely easier to find a little bit of, I don't know what exactly to say, find something like a bit of peace or a bit a of stillness in, in oblivion, mm. like just that black kind of nothingness that happens when you get into like a blackout save via whatever you're using. And personally, I've had my own dalliances with that and it very much spoke to me and I thought you'd handle it in a, a way that was very, very arty, but very true. And I liked a lot of the shots in particular, like, um, the stuff where it was like a, a very pedestrian household object, like the tap dripping, that's, to me anyway, it spoke very much to like the monotony of 
depression in so far as the days begin to run in together and the weeks and the months and sometimes it feels like years and decades that things like that can kind of often say a lot more without you having to spell it out and while it is in essence a non-narrative movie like there's no there was no um script so to speak you know like no no uh, actual dialogue in a sense it very much had a story to it and i thought it was it definitely got its point across and it was really well put together so fucking respect yeah, man for sure man. my like major things when i was going into it is that mental health and these suicidal thoughts and things like that all manifest themselves in different ways so one of the main things that I tried my best to do is to have no mobile phones. If there is a computer, not to have the internet and Facebook and all that law. I didn't want there to literally cherry pick. This is the reason why people are sad. So I've already had people come back to me and go, oh, you did this thing. And I was like, I didn't put that in the film. You've applied that to it. Like, oh, I can see that you're sad because of this. It's like, it's not there. It is just that one person being sad because they're sad. So I tried my best to make it as open as possible to make sure that, as I say, it's not cherry picking one thing and negating the rest sort of thing. That was a very conscious choice. And don't get me wrong, as a photographer and videographer, I chose that as a medium because I'm shit with words. I'm absolutely <laughs> So as I say, I can sit and chat to lads like you and bumble over words and stuff like that. But if you're having to refine a script and a screenplay, then I don't think I'm the man for that. So this was just a strict visual portrayal, uh, which was then like co-opted by the musicians because I think they could have done a, well, they did do a stand-up job of what I was going for, you know? So I think, thanks. Yeah, that was a big part of the, the vibe of it as well was that soundtrack. It really, because it, again, it was linear, like the movie, insofar as like it was, it had a beginning, middle and an end, but how long it took to get there and it kind of very much rose with the tension mm. of the movie and it they, they both were sympathetic to each other it, it was really well put together i think the thing that really um well put together. i think the part that stood out to me the most was the the man up part um huh. i know it's like when when you're typing it i was almost as you're saying there's different perceptions of what it, it could be but that just that was very um that kind of hit home as a more of an inner monologue or because I mean, and like we've all been through, we're, it's no stranger that we've all been through our stuff. But I remember specifically um, feeling, uh, actually feeling ashamed and embarrassed about how I was feeling. And kind of, if you tried to open up, not being able to open enough so much that it's recognized as an actual problem and it's just a small bump in the road where for you it's not. And you're hearing this thing of being like, you're fine, man. You're fine, man up. So you're trying to tell yourself that, which in its own way uh, diminishes what you're actually feeling to be something, um, a negative thing. Like I've, I think I've always said that, you know, you can't lie to yourself about how you're feeling. It's what you do with those feelings that really make, make the huge difference. And I think that man up part, just the repeating and repeating it, uh, that definitely, definitely hit home. Um, I think the most out of all of it, because I, you'll get in your own head and you'll start, you'll literally create another character, putting yourself down because you're feeling like that. And I think that that section there, the repetitiveness of it, that spoke to me a lot, man. I thought that that was it's something so subtle as well, but that 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 got me like. 
Yeah, and I think to get on the back of that, then the idea that with the lack of dialogue showed that isolation that the character had, that they weren't speaking to anyone else, that they were being their own worst critic, that they were just like pounding on top of that again and again and again to man up, man yeah, up, man yeah. up, man up. And like that, you know, you're guilty of being your own worst enemy. You know, you'd never you'd never have screamed at someone man up that many times to no. really like, you, that's not how you try and get your point across if even if that's what you wanted to say, well, you know? It also spreads that thing of... Um, just that male, uh, the toxic male masculinity, you know, it's mm. because you're a guy, you, you can't feel upset or you're supposed to have this power to be, to be able to brush everything off when something's not just something to brush off. It's an actual illness, you know, like, it's not up to you. It's not your fault. You don't, well, you're not going to give out to someone. It's like, Oh, you shouldn't have done this because like, if you get cancer, you, this, you, this, you shouldn't have done this. You just, it, it's, you know, it happens like, you know? I can only speak for myself, uh, which is that throughout growing up, one of the things about it was that we were always told to express your feelings and say what the fuck that you want. But then the thing is, that's only one side of the conversation It's the rebuttal coming back. So it's like, yeah, you said mm. your piece, but ah, fuck off or ah, whatever. There's always like a preset thing just to go back to. So again, it's like just a dialogue. That's the one thing. There's no point in people just screaming into a void. You need that thing coming back you need the receptacle to literally listen and then continue the conversation instead of it just being one-sided either way for good or for bad sort of thing it needs to be a dialogue and this is one thing which i think is definitely left open in the air you know like it's just getting left and the more that we leave it the worse it's becoming is pretty much it neglect it with mental health is definitely there and that's not just from my dad's generation, but from his before and so on and so on and so on, you know. It builds over time. It's not just transpired that way just today, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Obviously, Bailey, the character is an extreme example of mental health in relation yeah. to the Patty has gone down for that short time that you're with him. Um, did you want people to feel that same to feel a certain way when they're watching it or like was your goal kind of to get them to possibly maybe to act on it as in change a, a habit or change their perception of mental health when you were filming this were you conscious of it as 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 you were filming it to to be honest um, again just speaking for myself when i work in like any artistic medium i get very blinkered and very focused and the weird thing was i didn't understand how bleak and raw it was until showing it to a small group of friends and then the reaction that it got from them um even just the films that mm. i like in general are savage in one way shape or form it doesn't have to be a slasher or a horror but it can still be the delivery of it there's a an amazing director called steve mcqueen and there's uh the uh, the movie's called hunger and it's about someone that's obsessed with sex Right. But the thing is, it's one of the most heartbreaking films that you'll ever watch in your entire life. And it's just about two people. So it's that thing of I, I was wanting to evoke a reaction, but I didn't know how far in the paint that I actually was until somebody else that wasn't me saw it because I was so close to it. that It was just, as I say, my portrayal of it. I didn't really think about the, the, the bigger ramifications of what I was doing. I was pretty much doing a my own personal account on these on this 
pretty sensitive topic, you know. What about so, what about, what about G lads? Um, would you answer that question? Maybe that if somebody watching it would it would it change the perception of mental health, or is it too too extreme? I think those things are digested over time. You yeah, know? yeah. You, you'd never kind of go, ah, yeah, eureka moments, you know, and whatever else that whatever kind of um, road that'll go down. It, those things are digested over time, like any sort of heavy knowledge or insight or whatever you want to call it um it doesn't always come straight away it's and it's funny that you're talking about um uh showing something to somebody and they because you're so close to something especially in an artistic sense you really become blinkered to what you have created and what effort has gone into it and what the subtext is and what the context is and you after a while you're not doing something for your you, you do start out an, an artistic endeavor to show it to other people. But after a while, you're not considering that and it just becomes for you. And it's funny that you said um, that your friends had a more uh, visceral reaction to it. Because this is, a lot, this is another thing that can... The creation, the creating creation of art or artistic pieces, like, it's, a, it's tough as well because... You can get very invested in that, you know, and obviously you have to distance yourself from the fact that what you are creating is for yourself, but it doesn't define you. Insofar as this yeah. movie that you've made, and it is you playing a character, is not you per se. It's a portrayal of, you know, an imaginary person. But for someone else to see that, they might kind of go, my God, Bailey isn't okay. We need to, whatever reaction they have. Yeah. So sometimes people can't see that like this is you processing something. This is you working through an idea. And I know for myself, like when I'm trying to write lyrics or trying to like music, um, especially lyrics, like things that kind of come to me are like, I kind of want to see how far a notion will go or like feeling like trying to write down an extreme thought as unfiltered as I can, because getting it out is the best kind of therapy that you can for me anyway that, that that i can do because it's like well this is how bad it's ever got it can only kind of walk backwards from here so in yeah. terms of yeah. people um having this realization when they see a piece of art straight away no these things always kind of come little little pieces at a time and then maybe a week later or two weeks later you fully understand what you've seen well, there's another part to this as well that like it's monkey see monkey do so the thing is that at the end of the day, when I was younger, where the little town that I grew up in and the school and all that lot, I was literally the only metalhead at all. The only outlet that I had was the the gigs at the weekend or whatever I could then fuck off out of my shitty town to go and see the gig and come back again. But when I was there, I was like, oh, these all people around me have got similar ideas, motives, like the same bands, blah, 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 all the rest of it. So putting my portrayal of this out there is like, I think this way. I think of this way a lot enough to make a movie about it and portray it in this way so you might be thinking that too you can now talk to me about it we're now like one of the same we're akin is that sort of thing it kind of needs i'm not trying to like say that oh, i'll be the pied piper or anything but it's more if someone just starts the conversation in a in an amicable matter that people can then associate to i think they'll be more open to do it and that's how i got into the the scene and the music and being able to talk to folks is having that relatable cornerstone there somewhere. So as I say, it's, 
the last thing I want is someone to literally act out that mm -hmm. film. That's the last thing I want. But seeing it in such a stark manner, then somebody can turn and go, fuck me, he's had that thought before yeah, as well. Yeah. So it's that sort of thing. It's that olive branch that will forever like hang out there to go, this is I'm an advocate of this. And I'm trying my best to deter people away from this, you know? So what about you, Shane? Yeah, I was going to, I could see the same as well, that it, I mean, for someone, there's a very good chance that they'll be like, like that eureka moment will happen for them personally. But I think the bigger piece that happens when people start talking about this kind of stuff is that it allows their community and their network of friends to start talking about it as well. It kind of, I'm not going to be able to quote the line directly, but there's like a line in Fight Club where he talks about getting hit in the jaw and realizing he's not made of glass mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the whole world is still fine, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's, what it what it, it might feel like that oh if i talk about that like i'm going to counseling or i'm having these yeah. issues i'm gonna now shatter or my my cohort of friends are going to just like abandon me and leave me to the side where that sense when you bring it up yeah a lot of people are like oh i went to counseling mm -hmm. or i used to go to counseling or oh geez man i'm thinking about going to counseling myself and you get the same with addiction and stuff like that as well where people kind of if everyone keeps their skeletons in their closet, we all think everything's perfect, bar me. You know, I'm the one who's involved here, you know? Whereas when people start getting that information out there, they suddenly realize that, oh no, look, everyone on the planet has this same idea, the same information, the same story kind of going on for them. Personalized to themselves, obviously, but people have been through a similar experience. What about the visuals, Shane, from your background in photography? Do you enjoy it? I was really struck, and this is kind of going to echo what Tom was saying, that I was really struck, but it was by the kettle boiling. And it was just this one shot of the spout of the kettle. And I was like, oh, man, for, for the character, this moment is so long. Yeah, yeah. You know, this, this is going to just be so heavy for them. There's so much going on in their mind. Whereas a lot of people flick on the kettle and walk out of the room and forget, you know, they won't even forget they had flicked it on in the first place. Whereas, like, for this character in this story, their whole world is turning at this moment. It changes yeah. the whole concept of time and the whole thing as well, like of what one second can actually be 10 seconds or, you know, what one whole minute of a, a kettle boiling. There's so much that can um, happen in your head from that as well, you know? That's a black hole right there, man. <laughs> like, I, the, um, I was trying my best initially to make this seven minutes because I was initially wanting to go and put it around like film festivals and yeah. stuff before I realized that costs a fucking fortune and I'm, I'm not made of money but the the initial plan was to make it under 10 minutes and every shot in the film i shot three times and there's so much to hit the editing floor i could have probably made that into about 45 minutes easily like there was so many revisions just to get it down to 15 it was murder absolutely murder. i could imagine editing something like that would be hard you know like when there is no narrative and it's just there's so many little things that will make a story. Like again, like something small, like the kettle, like that's only a couple of seconds into something, but that will, you know, if, if that's not there, it's not going to affect something two or three scenes in or, or anything like that, you know? One of the things that I'm massively influenced by, and it's quite silly to say, is like the old school limited animation. Mm. So like your Warner Brothers and stuff like that. Most of it's happening outside of the screen. So they're just looking up at it. It's like, it's not there, but it's just the time that it's spent being in the air is the visual gag or the joke. So everything is timing when it comes down to it. So editing is 
like probably the most difficult bit of the job that I've got. Like just even refining and moving things just micro fractions of seconds about just to get the timing. Like even if you put a sentence on screen, how long do you leave that there? Yeah, yeah. Is that sentiment 20 seconds long or six seconds long? So there, like was, a lot of, there was a lot of experimenting going on. Oh, mate. Yes. <laughs> Never <Yes>. again. <laughs> Is there going to be a sequel? Like, I don't know, man, is a quick answer. Because most of my background, as I say, is being just pick up the camera and do it. Yeah. Like, the whole, all of the filming uh, I did within five days. So I got up in the morning in my flat where you saw the film. I then filmed all day throughout the light hours to get which, depending on what scene I wanted. And then when I was going to bed, I would do my dailies. So like the refined edits of that. And then the first thing in the following morning, then you tack on the new bit, tack on the new bit, tack on the new bit. So by the end of five days, the visuals were there. Mm. All I needed was the like intro and credits. And that's pretty much about it. And the tunes. So I was unbelievably like dedicated to just do it, get it done. And as I say, they just started to like, happen by itself so I, d I don't know if there's going to be another one if there is i'm definitely not going to go too hard in the paint with such an aggressive subject matter <laughs> i'm curious to see how how you communicate somebody else's story you know if somebody else had a, a story along the same vein yeah. kind of how do you feel you take that on i would love to to be honest with you um this is the thing that i'm trying to also show that it's um, to put it bluntly, most of my other footage that I've got on Scapegoat is band-related, live stuff, studio stuff, but it's executed in a very similar fashion, if you want to call it. So this was me, like, widening my horizons, trying to show the world also what I can do, but in a different vein, if you get what I'm saying. So then from there, it's... I was say, if somebody wants to give us a project, try and help them who did you bounce ideas off of had you anybody to i've got a good few friends like in the scene that are very like visually aware visually conscious um one for example is colin maker mcgregor um he's a great artist he did all the titling cards and helped us with the poster and things like that as well he actually did uh you might see it on the wall up there but we've got like the gig posters i was doing for scapegoat he painted them as well so he's a brilliant Heck all-round art so um there's been a lot of for instances where i've just been like i've been working on this or he sends me photos of stuff just to be like what what's your 10 cents on this does it look shit pretty <laughs> much um, so yeah like when i was coming together with like some of the shots it wouldn't be like what do you think of this cell it would be like here's two minutes point out the bad bits in it pretty much um as well as like my flatmate uh james mcdonald he runs a thing called City of Dis, um, and we've done some live recordings of pretty insane bands like Mr. Marseille, the French guy with the double kick and the cello, um, and like a couple of French hardcore bands as well. So he, in his own right, has got like a good creative eye and ear. So again, I trust him with his opinions and things like that. But at the end of the day, there, there wasn't much in the way of that. It was the fuse was set. I had this idea and off I went and did it within a week. Um, pretty much the tunes was the most difficult thing by far, just getting all of these musicians in one place at one time to get the music done for it. Um, but everything else went surprisingly smoothly.
Yeah, building the momentum up with the music was um, a crucial part of the movie. Did you have any input in relation to the artists that were yeah. chosen? Yeah, yeah, like all, like the whole production, every single thing started with myself. So uh, I went to Steve Gordon, spoke to him to try and figure out where we could go and record it at. And then I myself started a group chat, heard me, and then reached out to several artists that I think are good. And there's a couple of them that were mental health professionals as well. So I thought that it would be a good idea to get their run on the proceedings and things. Um, so yeah, I reached out to all of them individually, trying to spread the, the net as wide as I could. And 100% of them said yes, which was insane. So we, we just started blocking them together. So we got uh, Alex Sharpo from Endless Swarm wearing their shirt. I know that name. Uh, they are, are they, the most- Are they like a grind core? Yeah, I know man. them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, they're sick. Uh, yeah. Mr. Scene. <laughs> Mr. Scene, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Sharpo, he was, like, really wanting to get involved. Like, every single one of these musicians as well, I'll point out, hadn't worked together in any way, shape, or form before. So they only had heard each other's music, and that was about it. So we got them all together in a room, to split them into two groups, pretty much where Sharpo, Tommy Concrete, and Simon from We Ate Them Off The Floor, they did like the main stonery, doomy bit. Um, and then we recorded the grind bit at the end, which was the same formation. Um, and then we did the beginning bit, which was the Sapien Lads and Ali from Aspire Throne. So just doing all that weird soundscaping stuff. And as I say, the, like some of these people I'm really, really good friends with, and some of them... Not as much, but we know each other via the mm. scene. But yeah, as soon as they knew what the project was about, they were just like, yes. Um, especially someone like Tommy Concrete has played in The Exploited. and He's been one of my peers for years. And he turns around and goes, yeah, man, I'll fucking, if you're doing anything, I'll be there. It's like, shit, okay. Like, now, now we're on to something here, you know? So yeah. I can't thank these guys enough because they've really helped legitimize this passion project into like the next level because it would have just been a film the the bailey made if you get what yeah, i'm saying yeah. without these people you know you can see how much it means to people as well musicians you know like once you say ask for help with anything to do with a, a project about mental health and 99 percent of the time they'll they'll just jump on it you know that I, I there's very few people i can imagine would have said no just to help out with something like that because i think it does mean a lot to to a lot of people yeah and as i say that they they entrusted me with their talents that's the thing that i'm also like unbelievably thankful for like i came from a very musical family but i will like swear down that i am musically retired <laughs> I can't. They're, they're entrusting me with their years of talent and stuff and just fucking as I say, I just gave them a little bit of encouragement. Uh, I had like a couple of tracks, like I had a War Druner track, oh, yeah. uh, a Sleep track, and then I had like um, Insect Warfare. Another sick grindcore oh, band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so these were like the kind of references to try and like tie these musicians to go, this is the type of thing that I want, and then just sat back and watched them do it. Like there was no point in me micromanaging them because they're so good at what they do. I just pointed them in the right direction and they just went and fucking did it. It was insane. 
like still to this day it's one of the most insane studio days i've ever been at because there was literally like handshakes on that day to be like oh hi i've never met you before and then they're ripping next to each other like fucking 20 years nice nice but like would you say it was a life-changing experience for you yeah like it's been one of these things that's been building and growing but uh, it's very difficult for me myself to actually like take compliment and praise and things like that and as I say, this started off as just a little project for me to go and make a film and just for my own fucking amusement when it comes down to it. And then it's grown and these people have got involved and these are my peers and enough that they want to contribute their time, effort and money technically lost to go and put it towards my thing. So I'm, I'm overwhelmed that these people are behind me. And as I say, like, it's, it's, it really has changed my outlook on life. And to me now that there's pretty much no social barriers at all. You should be able to talk to your friends about things that are on your mind. There shouldn't be any, mm. oh, apprehension or anything like that. And as I say, I just took a punt at it and people are now getting behind me. So it's it's technically glorifying what I'm doing, you know? So before I was waiting for outrage and people to tell me, oh, I shouldn't do this or talk about it in that way or showcase it and blah, blah, blah. But it's been the polar opposite. So yeah, it's been jaw dropping how how many people have got behind it, including yourselves. As I say, I wouldn't have thought that like you speaking to Irish Rob from the fucking exploited and then I get name dropped halfway through. It's kind of a surreal experience. You know? He's my pal and he's like, Oh yeah, Bailey what? Yeah. Okay. It's <laughs> like man to like cross over to you guys. And as I say it's just a fucking fifteen minute film. So yeah, it's kind of surreal, as I say, that I was just pottering away and I'll say you guys are talking to me now about it. So yeah, it is a bit of like a life changing, mental changing like experience. We all became best friends, like best pals. The story might be over as a film, but it continues unfortunately in real life. And that's the ultimate takeaway that you can take away from it. We all can take away from it and the audience should as well. You know, people should pay attention to this, spread the word as much as we can around in Ireland about this in the Irish metal scene, you know, and hopefully more people will attach themselves onto it as well, considering I've got the lads here involved. Just about to like, just comment on that to say that like our DIY culture, especially here is perfectly catered for our like output with other people about the subject. Because if you think about it, the normal, hierarchies if you want to call it like pop and football fans and all this sort of lot there's a very straight laced everything has to be fine everything has to be perfect sort of look we're already neck deep in this sort of stuff so why the fuck are we talking about it is kind of my 10 cents towards it over to you tom i don't know bailey did you have a chance to check out tom's demotivator video with zahora i did actually i like zahora's lads are fucking top drawer i saw them uh turn with iron altar so I've been keeping my eye on it while it's been ticking over in the background. Pretty sick. Thanks very much. Yeah, that was um yeah, talk about a passion project. That 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 whole album is like like you you used the word confessional earlier on, and like that's what we were thinking about when um when we were writing that album, because like that is a big long story behind everything. But especially for that song, that was just like you try to be as stark as you can with things and, and like with things. And for me, I didn't want to. I didn't want to self-edit when I was trying to write the lyrics to that song, particularly because um, 
it was something that was so real to me like yeah the, the possibility of suicide or like how much i wanted to kill myself you know it was that was just what was going through my head for years and years and years and also when i was writing that song and i didn't want to try and rose tint what was coming out you know and even in a way like it the motivator like it's 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 to me it's like um i remember talking to you richie about but that time we did the podcast i remember hearing this story that eddie vetter told or i saw it actually he was doing um uh storytellers in vh1 with pearl jam and he was talking about that song alive and the chorus is essentially i'm still alive but when he wrote it it was very much a morose type of oh well i'm still here type of thing but when he started singing it to other people and he heard people singing it back he said the curse <laughs> that's why i like it so that's kind of why <laughs> i try to keep it as as real as possible because if the feelings that i'm trying yeah, to deal with are real they're real for someone else too, you know, and to get some sort of feedback on it or even just the audience kind of participatory (laughs) relationship that happens when you're playing a gig, it can be very cathartic. And what made me really uncomfortable about the song is the fact that at the end of it, I didn't want it, but I made myself put a positive line in it because it was just the right thing to do, but it was also like, to get yourself out of a bad place, you have to do the uncomfortable thing. And the uncomfortable thing for me at that time was to admit that things can be different, things can change, and things can be better. And even even sometimes, even now, I don't like that song because the line in it, choose life at the end, you know, there's a part of me that's like, well, you robbed that from Trainspotting, first of all. But this, yeah, it's class. But uh, the second time, in the, in the second instance, it's like, you don't really feel that way. You know, and it's just, but to be able to say it live and to be able to make, I have no choice other than to say it live now whenever we play that song. And that's the first song we open every set with, or we have been at least until fucking lockdown. But um, to be able to have to say that is just kind of like drilling it into my own head that you know what, it's okay, even after all these extreme things I've expressed and other people have expressed, and they might find some sort of like um, spark of recognition, even like in a, a random phrase in the song. To make, to make myself say that at the end is just enough of a minor therapy in itself that it just makes me kind of move past the feelings or at least deal with the feelings that I had at that time, that little snapshot in that song when I wrote it, you know? So, I mean, choose life. Yeah. hundred percent. It feels awkward saying it sometimes and it's, but sometimes the awkward thing is, is what needs to happen. Yeah. I think that's like, that really sums up a huge part of self-care and counseling and stuff like this, that kind of, you know, you, you've been feeling the, the general you, I've been feeling like down and depressed and, you know, in that dark space. And like, this could be something that's quite, it's built for years or that's been niggling in the back. And you, you know, you might've blocked it out during your early twenties and suddenly your late twenties or, you know, your thirties or you know, pick any age group there that 
like it suddenly starts kind of weighing really heavy on you and then you think like oh i've heard i should do mindfulness and you do you, you know you get an app and you sit for five minutes doing something and you're like oh, i'm not cured what the fuck's wrong with this like everything's terrible and i'm only going to stay where i am but it's that idea of like it's little steps by little steps and the idea isn't that you're going to be cured the idea is that you you get a good handle on what's going on for you and you get like a new perspective and you know develop these things yeah. little by little and even that idea of choose life like that's got a more positive spin on it than being like like that even as itself if that becomes your mantra like that's better than saying in my mind at least and maybe for you as well that's better than saying i'm not choosing suicide like it has that positive thing but there's nothing to say that that's an easy thing to tell yourself if for the last 20 years you've been telling yourself you're shit. Like as an example, that if you've been telling yourself you're shit for 20 years and for the last three weeks you're telling yourself choose life and you're like, why is this so hard to say? Well, you know, weigh 20 years up against three weeks and see, see what would win in that for anything, you know? Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things about it was actually the video that we got done recently. Um, it was also before the lockdown, but um, again, kind of doctor. How did you come up with a visual representation of what you put up there, man? Like, did you go, oh, I want it to look like this, this, and this, or was it just fuck it, like we'll see how we go, blah blah blah? At that part in the creative process, I was fucking checked out. Yeah, I, I was so. fucking checked out. I was just, I'm fucking done with it. Like, you know, like we've had a couple of rough years with um. Our bass player, our former bass player, got a brain tumor. Had to leave. Now he's completely recovered. Now, and fair fucks to him. He'll take the shirt off any man's back now. Currently, but uh, <laughs> but um, and on top of that, you know, there was a whole lot of infighting as well. Me and Colin didn't get along. Everybody didn't get along for a while. We were all kind of dealing with Richie having to leave in our own stupid ways. Well, not stupid. They're 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 human reactions to stuff. But there was a lot of infighting there, and then this album was like, okay, look, let's just reconnect in some way. Even if we're not writing mad, complicated music, let's just make it raw and let's just make it real. So then, you know, the frustration builds up when stuff starts to kind of not go the way it's supposed to be. I think we had to postpone the recording time by like maybe two or three months and ended up trying to, or we, we were trying to get 45 minutes and we ended up getting 30 and... You know how the last album had went and stuff like that. So by that time, I was checked out. I was like, no, I just, it, the songs are done. I don't care. And I was frustrated. And I just, I wanted hands off, nothing to do with it. So Colin got in touch with Doc, who had done um, the video for Ruthless Bastards. And he took the, took the reins from there. And like, even on that day, there was stuff that just kind of happened completely um, off the cuff. Like, there's a fairly obvious scene with me climbing up the ladder you know to hang myself and then at the end i walk away from it in reverse and that only happened because pancho drove his dad's van up his dad is a painter and he had a fucking a ladder in the back of the van so like oh a ladder oh if, if you're going to kill yourself if you're hang yourself let's get that in the video but you know it was just stuff like that just happened and like even as um flippant as it was at the time like i'm glad it went in and I'm glad that the video turned out the way it did with me walking back and walking back that sentiment of like trying to fucking just end everything. And it's, for me, the most important part of it was that while as much time was spent on the, the, the intent yeah. that I had in, in the video, 
of walking up towards the ladder and climbing up and then all the guys looking up at me <laughs> at the end of the video it just walks it back really quickly and to me it's, there's a filter that's over it that's kind of like a, a grainy kind of video thing that plays it back and makes it look like a video a VHS tape in reverse and just to me that has a kind of like um, a past tense connotation so for me that video is Lift like the song up. that is like yeah yeah these feelings are current now and then at the end of it walk the back and that's in the past so you've got past it you know yeah like we we can share a little moment then because uh like the the hanging scene in mine oh, yeah. i had the same thing colin maker like i'll say long time friend like artist and all this sort of lot he was the one that was filming me hang myself and i must admit if anybody else like looked through the letterbox or whatever we were fucking hoots of laughter and I'm walking around in my pants and that it's like we were trying our best not to look at how dark the actual situation was but in its own right it's become an amazing memory but in a really fucked up dark way you know that as I say we, we've now bonded over this man that's mad yes. um sorry cutting across I actually, I actually view the video like completely differently in my head like my interpretation of it was that to go up the ladder was to get out of the depression like that it wasn't necessarily suicide that it was to be like yeah that like you know kind of the where i want to be is almost you know i'm in the underworld of my subconscious or whatever you know and i want to get onto a higher ground you know that's where the light source is that's where i need to go but that's what you need you know that's what's the that kind of video where it's very non uh it doesn't tell you what to think, you know, mm. you know, and that's the same with Bailey's video as well. They don't tell you what to think. It gives you enough of the core issues or the core things that happen that you just make your own of it, you know, and like in terms of the lyrics for that song, I think they paint a picture. I think they're very evocative of, you know, what's going on, but it's still at the same time, there's enough of a metaphor and enough of um, a distancing from you know, being a, a diary entry, essentially, that someone else can put their own experience on it, whether it's for them or for somebody they know that's suffering. So, you know, the fact that you're getting your own viewpoint on it, that's completely different to mm -hmm. mine. It kind of, it's done its job. Yeah, to, to fit yourself in. Because I think in Bailey's work, I was like, that guy's been out last night. Yeah, that was the, you know, what you're, what you're not seeing is some, you know, whatever conversation or, or issue that like something has kicked it off from the night before in my, like, that's my projection onto it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The scene that we're in, the heavy metal scene that we're in, uh, you touched on it there, Bailey, which I found interesting as well with the tattoos. A lot of the lyrics are dark. Is it going to become more pronounced bands pushing this out more mental? illness mental health especially with what we've gone through for the last three or four months i would say that today's extreme is tomorrow's normality so at one point in time sonically lyrically visually we'll we'll all acclimatize and i think it's more just we need to socially digest it instead of just shunning it is like the main problem and with any amount of adversity like this aggressive style of music seems to flourish so I think you're mm. potentially, yes, but at the same time, I think it's got a pretty decent platform that it's already standing on to keep going, you know? So whatever the topics of today 
are not going to be as extreme by tomorrow, I don't think. It will peter itself out, I think. Yeah. Have any of you any ideas on how to illuminate it in the metal community? Have any of you kind of thought about it? There's only a couple of ways to do it, I think, in Ireland. Like there's, it depends on the cultural... Uh, I don't know what the word is. The the skin that people have built up to it, whether it's thick or thin, you know, if someone was to go up on stage, we'll say, right, at the Siege of Limerick, and start openly talking about their mental health and stuff, yeah, be pretty well received. But there's still going to be people that are going to have that latent embarrassment and a public scorn or whatever, just because, you know, maybe they're not ready to deal with that. And hearing it professed loudly by somebody else makes them get their back up and puts them in the defensive. So in terms of Ireland, I would say that as forward-thinking and as socially left-leaning as we are as a country, you still have to do it with an air of subtlety or something like that. You know, supporting charities, asking people to support charities, things like that. I mean, yes, obviously the things that are happening in in terms of art, like speaking about it in an artistic sense. But I think to come openly, to come out openly and talk about it is left for the best of, or is left for the, like, the likes of the fucking Late Late Show and stuff because the likes of us can only speak to ourselves, which, by which I mean the metal scene, you know. But we're still a little bit on the cynical side. I would agree with on the, on the cynical side. But if Rezzy yeah. goes on to a late show and says, you know, my mate Jeffrey, the book, the book, and et cetera, et cetera, because people are within that scene or within that social group, it has more credence to them. Whereas if I was to go on the late, late show and, you know, talk to Ryan Toberty, nice fella that he is, uh, it probably wouldn't come off as well because... I say, of course, like, well, obviously he is, you know? Yeah, it's... I have no, um, you know, they don't, people don't relate to me. People don't relate to us in terms of day to day. Whereas Brezzy or whoever is, you know, I don't know why I keep thinking about Brezzy. He's, he's he sound really like, handsome, handsome yeah. Olegar, man. But um, they, they, that's their, that's I, their, they're people that they're, I think they're I get around. what you're saying as well, because there, there is a lot more, like it's almost look, looking from the outside. It's like, what if, Horse, you're depressed. Like, you just not know what you're listening to. You're wearing, you're wearing black. You're, you're wearing black. Man. What are you doing? Like, fucking <laughs> listen to Justin Timberlake, who is class. Like, I, I listen to Justin Timberlake anyway. Like, is it yeah, absolutely. Like, but the, like, one thing I will say is when when I was at like the height of realizing I have mental health issues, and that moment when I realized, like, I'm. I, I can't pretend I can't. This has become an issue. I was living in Dublin um, in a room, a box room. Um, I was so afraid to talk to people. I used to shit in a bucket and wait for everyone to go to sleep to pour it in there, pour it in the, the toilet. I used to take as much fucking pills as I possibly could just because that would make me come up. I destroyed my fingers trying to open bottles um, do you know the bottle cap thing never knew how to do that I had no one there to show me ripped my hands up would do my my bed sheets fucking stunk of all the ashtrays that I'd spilt on it wasn't arse cleaning them because it didn't make shit of a difference I couldn't sleep anyway what was the point 
but I was so fucking ashamed. Do you know, I was so, so ashamed. Everyone I knew was in college. Everyone was in college, like having the fucking time of their life. And I was sitting here being like, why am I not? What's wrong with me? Why can't I? I'm in Dublin. Why can't I go out and do this? Like I was like, what, 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 what is, what the fuck is wrong with me that everyone else is able to go do this and I'm not able to fucking do it? Why? And there was this shame of like, if I come home on the weekend, I'd be like, oh yeah, I was doing this. Oh, I've, lo- I've loads of friends. I've lo- just because I couldn't, I'd be so embarrassed to even bring up the fact that I've had something building for years and now it's become an obsession that I can't actually do anything properly. Back then, that was a horrific, like, that was so fucking hard for me to deal with just having, even like I had great friends, but I still, no one could comprehend actually what I was trying to say to them. Do you know? Whereas now, now, if somebody tries to open up like that, it's not going to be far off a conversation. Someone being like, Hey man, have you tried talking to someone? Have you tried my mind? Have you tried, do you know, have you tried these different places when back then all it was, was like, Oh my fucking God. Like what, what, what is it? Like you're, you just keep saying you feel like shit, but you won't say what it is. Is there someone pissing you off? Is there had to be a reason, you know, like everyone was like, there has to be a reason you have to have like, who pissed you off? Are you pissed off about this or, you're not getting enough of this or not. And I'm like, I don't know what it is, but it's just built up to a thing that I can't escape it. And it's like a cloud and there's no way I can get out of it until I pushed myself to do that. But at that time I suffered because there was no ads on TV for mental health. Do you know, you were just crazy. (laughs) Do you know, that was it. Like, you know, you could call (laughs) someone, you're fucking crazy. And it was fine. Do you know? But whereas now I think as much as we can say a cynicalness, I think there is so much more of an openness and accepting to want to fix someone rather than to not even to fix, but to help someone like to give someone even the option of having the way I like to see it. Cause like I still go to counseling, but I just feel like it's um, a manual for my brain. That's, that's it. And it's, it's an instruction manual for my brain. And it's the best fucking thing that I've ever done. If I haven't done, if I didn't do that, I have no idea what way I'd be like, I know we're talking about a metal thing and I know a lot of people will be like, Oh, music saved my life. Sometimes I feel shit by saying I couldn't give a flying fuck about music at the time. If I never picked up a guitar, if I never played drums, if I never fucking heard a song again, couldn't give a fuck. Like there was nothing that was going to save me apart from myself deciding that this has gone too far and I won't be able to come back if I don't fix this now I just wish I really do wish that there was as much options for me then as there is for now you know like as much as thing we can do a lot of things better we always can that's just fucking humans like we're never going to get anything perfect but fuck me man I cannot stress from the bottom of my my heart how much easier not easier like for a person, but just how much more accessible things are now, how much for a long time before even telling anyone any of my story or anything like that, how fucking scared I was of thinking I'm going to be completely shunned. I've seen people that I've known for years say, just turn 
and say like, oh yeah, no, I'm on Lexapro now. And I'm like, fuck man, that gave me tits. Like, do you know, <laughs> and it's fine. We can talk about that, do you know? Whereas a few years ago, that's, they're like, you're actually on pills. Like you're taking, you have to take pills for something. Like you're, you're crazy. Like but you're like, like part of this peer group. Like this mm. is the thing that like when I was younger, all these older guys which pretty much put their like wing around us to be like oh you can stand in the sound booth or like watch this band or or whatever the fuck it is and that was the peer group that taught me that it was okay to do it now i'm getting older i'm getting into that peer group and there's all these young scallies that are coming up which are just full of testosterone and libido and that's pretty much about it so it's more the fact that we're showing them as well like showing the younger generation that it is okay to articulate these thoughts instead of us in your exact predicament is that's not healthy in any way shape or form so is i think that's kind of what how i see Mm. it's kind of my duty because i've had the old guard show me the ropes so as i say i've got to show the younger kids the ropes coming up as well it's like don't trap that shit in like I was watching uh, your Razor Sharp Death Blizzard thing, and Jamie was saying the exact same thing to his younger drummer yeah. and, and bass player that they've been around. They've had fucking shitty times, and as I say, they've got young guys in their band, but they need to all be like socially connected on everything, you know. So it's that thing of like teaching the younger generation what we fucked 100%, up, one hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely, because it's like it. It's. I know there's like there's a lot more of a thing of where um it's it's not even that like people are coming down with more mental mental illnesses it's almost like people are you're just people are finding out more about it now do you know what I mean like people are there's people that I've known for years years and it's only like recently that I found out that they've had depression depression and they've taken the same things that I've taken and I'm like, kind of looking, we're both just looking at each other being like, why did we never say this? Do you know what I mean? Like, I thought you were fine. Yeah. Like, I, why, how can we never said this? And we both had the same kind of reaction. Just it's like, what was I supposed to say? I'm fucked. <laughs> like, I, I'm sad. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know I could take something for it. Like counseling to me, like was something that fucking rich Americans do in New York where they sit on that stupid fucking... <laughs> That thing, and they're like, tell, yeah, tell me about your parents. Like, my parents were great, man. It's nothing to do with them. <laughs> That's always, <laughs> always what I thought it was. And it was just made out to be this unattainable way to fix yourself. You know what I mean? Like, you'd, you see on TV shows, it was like, where's my therapist hears about this in New York for like a, a grand a minute. I'm like, it's not like that. You know, you can get this done. If, like, with, with my mind, um, if you're not working, you can get like very, very, very cheap and great counseling from them. You can choose what type of, you can choose your counselor. You can choose if you want to do like, there's music therapy. There's so many different ways you can do it that can cater to you. But I never heard of any of this. I don't like, I know my mind was there, but it just wasn't anything that I would have come across or like nearly would have been afraid to search it thinking the guards are going to come in and fucking take me away if I search it like Shane what made you get into it choose that path um oddly enough like it was kind of two things like I was in like one of the main things that kicked it off was I was in the Philippines and oh. just saw like poverty like I'd never seen it before and stuff and was kind of like I was backpacking doing the Tefl thing and I was like yeah yeah this is all grand and suddenly realized 
wait a minute, I've got the ability to do something so much more. And I didn't, I didn't know there and then it was counseling. I was just, it was like, these people have so much less. And then Jesus is going to get like, sound like the white man coming to save him, but it wasn't to save them. It wasn't to save, like, it was just to be like, I can be adding to the world. Like the world is so uneven in this regard that I can actually do my little bit to add to it rather than kind of ignoring it. You know, it's, it's kind of like going like, right, I can, I can buy vegetables from the farmer's market and like money's gone straight into someone's hand rather than going to the big super chain stores and the money's gone anywhere, you know? So it was that kind of idea of like, okay, what can I actually, instead of just doing something so small like that, what can I kind of dedicate my life to? So when I came back then, I started talking to like really close friends and they were like, you know, you're kind of a counselor. Like these are friends as well who had, you know, who were going to counseling and they were like, this is kind of what you do, what you do naturally for us. We're also paying someone to go off and do professionally for us. So it was kind of like, okay. And I started looking into it a bit more and I had, or I have an art degree. So I was kind of going on to do art therapy and didn't get in, which was like at the time as well, you know, you dealing with um, rejection and stuff like this. It was like the day I found out I didn't get it, it was just like, oh my God, I'm after moving all the way back to Ireland and I've no money anymore and like I don't have a job or anything like this and suddenly I didn't get that one thing where I'd I kind of put all my eggs in the one basket and uh so like that night even was just like oh my god this you know this is a real downturn and then in the following week I just started looking into like okay what are my other options because this like I kind of just sat with myself and was like is that still my goal is that still the thing I want to do so I just went along the idea of like, okay, how else can I, what can I do in the year before reapplying? So I did a cert course and was like, actually, I'm just going to go down the, the counseling and psychotherapy route and come back to the art therapy later and build on it. And that's just kind of, that was, that's how it happened. And how long did it take you to complete it? So I have five years, including the cert course. So after, so you, and this is kind of beneficial for people who are looking for counselors. So Ireland has no legal bit, you know, so anyone who wants to just slap their name on the door and say they're a counsellor, that's it, you know, as far as the world's concerned. But you want to get in with one. If you're looking for a counsellor, you ideally, as a suggestion, want to look for a counsellor who's part of IHIP or IACP. Um, and there, there are a couple of other boards. Now, it is different for the more creative therapies. They tend to have their own bodies. But if you're just looking straight up counselling, IHIP and IACP, um, because they're accredited then. So you kind of, you do your three years to get your diploma and your fourth year to get the degree. But after the diploma, you can apply then to, or you, you start building up hours and have to fulfill a certain level of ethics and such like this to get into one of the governing bodies. And they kind of are your watchdog then. And so it just means that your counsellor is going by the highest ethics possible and is being watched sounds like the wrong word but is, is responsible to someone you know has to has to meet a certain criteria so it's kind of best way to know who you're going with and then i do think like for people out there as well that as everyone was saying you know they have that very freudian idea of like laying back talking about their parents but there's music therapy dance therapy art therapy um, there's like walking therapy, there's all these different avenues to go down with it. So I know for myself, when I started doing therapy, I looked for someone, I didn't look for an art therapist, but I looked for someone who had art in their background, 
Yeah. So I knew I knew we had a common language then when we started talking because I had art in my background, they had art in their background. And that's all I needed. Like that made it easier for me to walk through the door the very first time to go like, okay, we have one thing. We have one level, you know, and even point of conversation, even, you know. Yeah, exactly that. And there is this there is this discussion as well about, you know, if you're a counselor, should you, you know, should you show your tattoos if you have tattoos and this sort of thing? And the general answer is, yes, you should, because you're just going to be like, this is who I am. I'm the counselor. I have tattoos. So it could be very easy for, you know, if someone is in the metal community and they, they, may, they might feel because of their upbringing or, you know, the small village they came out of that they might feel that this, I, oh, geez, I'm way over off center. You know, everyone thinks I'm the weirdo in the village, the one, the one got kind of thing. But if you, you know, do a bit of research that looking like it probably won't make a difference to the counselor at all. Anyway, I can probably guarantee it. It won't make a difference to the counselor. But you can start looking for counselors who might have tattoos or might have, you know, music in a background and stuff like this. So, you know, going in and again, I'm putting that forward completely as my own story as well, that that helped me. But someone else might want, oh, geez, I want no one anyway connected to music whatsoever or the music community or, you know, I want someone just to be my counselor. And a lot of people as well, they're just, you know, they're, they're <laughs> one of the, the, there's two kind of funny methods where people pick you know, we go through all this training and we, you know, develop and we have all our ethics and then someone either picks the person like on the same street. They're like, oh, there's counselors down the road. I'll just go to them because I can get there on the walk home from work yeah. or something. And other people then are like, okay, you know, just uh, speaking from someone in Cork City, they're like, okay, I'm going to pick somebody in Mallow because there's a good chance I can come out of that door or the- go in that door and never bump into anyone I know. Yeah. Still not a million miles away, you know? But I think it is a case of just finding the person you're comfortable with and being willing to do the work because there's so much, it's so much more down to what you're willing to do. Put into it as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true because my counsellor is like, you know, we're doing it over Zoom, obviously, because there's there's no more uh, physical. I find that so weird now. It is strange. The same thing. You know, like you I just, did one just on Zoom. Slips on like a nice pair of galoshes. It's, it's just, yeah. um, she said that like, Sometimes you'd feel like, you know, you only have a set amount of time and mm. sometimes they wrap up with a nice little bow and, you know, you get your nice little um, eureka moment at the end. And then the other ones, you just feel like you've done the work and it's just the time is up. And yeah. she said that, like, those are the times when it's working the most because you're coming away still processing, mm. you know, and the work is always going on in your head. But for those ones leaving without like you know everything having a, a nice definite um full stop on it is often where the the line share the work is done because you're walking away into the world or whatever for me now is it's just walking back into my house until i go back to work which i'm sure actually is probably a lot of people's position but the work is still being done you know it's a hard way to do it but you know not to have a human interaction but at the same time it's kind of good practice for having you know, having to deal with isolation in a way, you know, because when you go back into the real world, you know, things are going to change. We're going to be able to talk person to person, but the sense of isolation is always, it's universal. It's still going to come back, even though you might be able to walk down to the shop and go to the pub and whatever else it is, that isolation is still a thing that will rear its head again. Mm -hmm. So in a way, the the lockdown is like, it's good practice for some things, if you know what to practice. Again, um, just listen to Shane there, 
Um, now, you, you needn't go into details. Like, did both yourself and Evan go through many counsellors until you settled on the right one? How do you know yourself? Is it just... My counsellor has a cat sanctuary. Oh. So that a cat sanctuary? Good. Yeah. She had 47 <laughs> cats at one stage. So I was like, yeah, it's a, you're, you are my people. Um, I This is my second, but I had a very... Uh, my first one, I think I only did one... Maybe I think I did two uh, sessions and I just, I felt very like I, I was, I felt it was just wasting her time and my time. I uh, just felt like I, and it was nothing, nothing against her. You know, it's not her. I just didn't feel like I could um, open up at all. There was something, I don't even know what it was. It just, it felt very like I was talking to a teacher do you know what I mean? And I that just that that's what I didn't like. There was something about just the whole thing. Um, it's that I power like. dynamic of a, of a teacher. Yeah, and I was like, I feel like if I'm going to tell you something now, I'm going to get in trouble. Like, you know <laughs> Two hundred <I> mean? lines. <laughs> yeah, I was like, and I was like, well, I was thinking of killing myself there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, now my the counselor I have now has been two years, I think, and I she's great like you know like i kind of what you were saying with doing the the whole zoom thing my mind was open for um for a good while i think it still is but uh i went a while ago i had one of my sessions but i knew there was no way i was gonna make because i'm working from home as well and it was just like trying to fit something in but going down and it was just getting very but i knew i, I needed it so i was offered to do the the zoom one it's so weird because like i'm glad even when we start these there's that like you know a couple of minutes of chit chat first because i'm like very aware i'm talking to a, a laptop you know what i mean and it gives like i think it gives me i take a few minutes just to to get out of my, out of my head but like they're like they're just like it's like your brain's a it's like your brain my brain is a shitty phone like this and i just have to top it up by 20 euro every so often <laughs> And I'm grand, you know what I mean? But if I don't top it up every so often, I'm useless. Um, can't talk to anyone. I can't receive pictures. I can't, like, <laughs> I can't do it's, anything. It's like, like um, I like to think of the analogy of, like, you bring your car to a fucking service, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, so why not? Speaking you know? for myself, like, I've got a pretty good relationship with my tattoo artist, and that's kind of like my, if you want to call it therapy, because the I see it in a very similar way that yeah, yeah. for starters, you're relinquishing the power to somebody else. For starters, they know better and also they're pretty much there to hurt you. And then the other one is, is you're vulnerable. 99% of the time, you're in a compromising place where there's yeah. a tattoo in your back or your underarm or whatever the case may be. So you've just got to let it happen to you and let them, like as I say, talk to you or whatever it is. So that's how I get mine, but I would see it's the same sort of like dynamic. It's just being vulnerable and then being okay with being vulnerable with that person. Couldn't couldn't say that better. I think there's there's such a huge thing about um I think when I first started going to counseling as well, there was um a fear of um being vulnerable and weak in in a sense. Uh but there's there's almost that joy joy in um vulnerability now, depending on who you're with but there is that joy that comes with a with a vulnerability i think i think that comes with um 
playing music as well like i think drums more than anything it's just so like you can't hide if you're into it or not you know yeah. like i tom tom you get it we've talked about this so many times but it is just like there was what i remember there was i like no one in the room knew but there was one time i was at a practice this is having a shitty time and we're playing a tune I was, I was crying when i was playing but it was the most like fucking releasing thing and it, like i was sweating so much it didn't look like anything do you know what i mean it's like a sweaty but there eye. was like yeah sweaty eyes and i was just i remember just being like do you know when you have those moments that you're just like holy shit like this like i i thought it was grand and started playing and then all of a sudden it's just coming out but like you know nobody would know no one's going to see it and then after it's not like i'm like that was great lads. no it's just like <laughs> <laughs> that breakdown was so f- f- fucking heavy <laughs> but it was definitely more of like it it shows how much um it's part of you and how much it means to you that like i could have been sitting there talking to the lads about whatever was on my mind and i wouldn't have had such a physical release and mental release like that from just playing playing a song and then it, it can be non-verbal even, sometimes it doesn't always it have totally, to be more, yeah so. yeah it was it felt it literally felt like a physical like muscle release do you know what i mean it sounds like literally just described coming but it's like <laughs> it's not, it is it it <laughs> in my age profile which is unfortunately now 50 we never had um counselors we never we were all like that guy typing on the thing to man up and mm-hmm. our peers were worse you would never show weakness in front of your peers or guys that are older than you in the scene. You certainly would never cry. You'd certainly never express your feelings. And that is just the way it is and still is, unfortunately, with all of us. But I found out through previous relationships and stuff that I was actually very good at listening. People could talk to me and I would take on board everything that they will say. I will try to give my input and try to help them out but probably like a sponge i would take the whole lot in and and never deal with my own stuff you know and and my capacity to do that i thought for ages was was incredible insofar as that it wasn't weighing me down and stuff but um i think now i can see the benefits of it even listening to you i'm not not quite jealous but i i kind of going jesus you know I, i would have liked to have that probably help or that that thought that I could go to a counsellor and, and be open and, and go in, walk through a door and talk to someone like that. It's alien to me, lads, and it's alien to a lot of guys my age as well, you know. I don't know the effects it had on me as such, but I think I'm okay. <laughs> you're sound. You're doing, you look great to me, boy. You're 50. Not like. yet. You'll know when I'm 50. But it's just, I think I missed that train. A lot of guys my age missed that train and ended up dead because of it. Well, to them, it didn't exist. It didn't you know? exist. Exactly. You, you, yeah. didn't, you didn't talk exactly. about it. And then it was just kind of like, you know, back when men were men and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But how many lads yeah. walked into a fucking river? Every man, you know? yeah, a man absolutely. that smokes and rides 100%. a cowboy and is like fucking bulletproof and shit like that. It's like the archetypal idea. That's, yeah. that's fictitious at the end of the day. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. As I just said, like, and if it's definitely an age divide there it's harder to get that generation to talk about it i mean what what do you think shane like do you think that like they're there's not it's not like they they can't be reached i don't know if it is you know but but why is it harder Um, for them like i wouldn't put it solely down to age you know this sort of thing i'd put it down to 
what an individual is willing to to do you know that kind of that same idea that you know if i was building a shed out my backyard tomorrow and i was like okay this is a, a lot for me to do i might be able to do it myself but it's a lot to do and the person who rings their neighbors around or rings around a couple of lads and says like look can we all get together i'll give you some beers or whatever we'll make a day of it and put this shed together like that person's probably more likely to ring a counselor or even take that self-care you know where so it's that kind of mind frame and i do i see you can easily add it to age but age then um you know we're kind of we talk about age now but you could easily say like men versus women you know that men are less likely to go but i think all of that is changing because even what bailey was saying about you know talking to that next generation of metalheads coming into the gigs and kind of making sure they're they know it's a safe space that you can talk about these things or you can be going to get help. Like, I think by setting that example to the younger generation, you're just as equally setting it to the older generation because it is a community. I mean, like, it's not like, it's not like any of the, the metal cell fans who are, you know, edging on to 50 or 50 plus are going to go, oh, mental health and turn this show off. Like, they're going to be sitting there, they're going to listen. Now, you know, it, it might, some of them might be like, mm. oh yeah, do you know, this this is kind of easing things for me and, you know, potentially down the line and some people are going to reject it. And it's the same way as that phone's ringing and you know, it's me ringing to get you to come build a shed. Some, you know, some people are going to answer it and be like, yeah, I'm there. And some people aren't even going to answer it at all. You know, that it isn't, I wouldn't put it down to solely being just somebody's age is, is taking that difference. Mm. It's their ability to, um, to see what's there in the community for them. And I think the the idea of, you know, people have in their head, as Evan was saying about like that Freudian setup of the line out in the chair and, oh, they're going to get me talking about my parents, but my parents are fine. And this kind of thing, it's that, you know, like, you know, we've YouTube and we've the vastness of the internet that you can go and look it up and look up what scenarios will potentially look like, what to potentially expect. And that can be a big fear for people as well. Uh, they they feel by walking in the door yeah. that something's wrong with them. Yeah, you know that like oh I'm I'm saying I'm broken or I'm saying I'm vulnerable rather than going look this isn't a hundred percent right for me this could be a little better I know I know something in the background is niggling away that I'm not doing a hundred and ten percent or not, I'm not doing the hundred percent that I'm comfortable with. Okay, lads, this has been interesting. I'm glad I could bring it up in the show, Bailey. We are looking forward to your next adventure. Keep us keep us informed, whatever that may be. So. If there is another one, I'll let you know. <laughs> cool. Absolutely, man. Can, I, can I be in the sequel? Colin Way hit us up on my book, bookies for a gig. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. Fucking guaranteed. <laughs> consider, consider yourself taken up on that favour. <laughs> Tom, thanks a million for taking the time to come on the show again. Great having you. Oh, Evan, as usual. What can I say, man? Worries, yeah. And Shane, long time no seeing. Congratulations again on um, that great no worries, milestone you achieved there. Pleasure being here. Cheers, man. guys. Yeah, fair play, bud. Yeah. Big up, man. Yeah, so you've been listening to the Metal Cell podcast. And it's Richie, and thanks again. Cheers, lads. Okay, before we get on to the last band of the show, I just want to give out some important mental health services. And um, be sure to check out on Facebook, mymind.org and mental health ireland and then uh web pages will be www.peta.ie 
www.samaritans.org, www.aware.ie and www.sosadireland.ie. Before the show ends, I want to just give a shout out to the band that will see see us out and they are body drinkers shout out to mark on vocals ollie on guitars mark on guitars paul on bass and barry on drums they're from cork and they are made up of a lot of members of other different cork acts through the years uh, just a few of them there for rune and suits there days of night you would have all heard of an ex furnace i'll eat your face to mention a few this is off their new ep and um, you can get that on Bandcamp and you can also check out all their stuff on Facebook as well. It's a self-titled EP and there is seven tracks on it. And this is the last track, Costa del Disfiguration. Enjoy. <laughs> 